on a night like tonight, it sort of feels like we should be bundled up in blankets and sitting by a fire telling ghost stories. Actually, I have a ghost story of IMS, but I won't tell it. <laughs> <clears throat> so we've had a full day of practice. And now for this hour, you can relax a little. You want to stay attentive and let the words sort of take us to our own experience of what is being said. Uh, and tonight I'd like to talk about taking responsibility. Taking responsibility. I don't suppose I'm alone in how I approached my spiritual training many years ago. But it certainly wasn't from taking responsibility for myself. I felt that if I uh, connected with the right teacher and uh, just followed his or her direction, that I could uh, sort of ride the teacher's vehicle to my own freedom. So uh, I certainly tried. <laughs> and uh, at some point it became increasingly uh, obvious to me uh, that that strategy was very limited. But I, I had very little self-confidence and didn't really feel that I could make the practice my own. There was too much self-doubt. And it was a, a number of years, really, before I addressed that self-doubt in a way that led towards me taking responsibility for it and my own growth at the same time. Now the problem with talking about responsibility is that there are uh, historical overtones that each one of us have about responsibility. It's sometimes seen as a burden or a duty. You take responsibility for your little daughter or for your sister. And it's seen as a chore or something that's added to us that somehow keeps us contained or oppressed. And many of us have developed strategies to avoid it. And yet if we, if we look at our lives over time, sometimes we can see that having been forced to take responsibility has actually helped us in some way. I have two little nieces in Seattle. One of them is um, about nine years old and the other one I think is uh, six or seven. 
And the nine-year-old has to take responsibility for her little sister. And there is an enormous gap that defies the age difference between the maturity levels of those two young girls. Because one has to look out beyond one's own scope and one's own selfish pursuits to include another and in doing so has developed a kind of maturity. And if any of you are older siblings in which that was something that you were raised to do or have seen that done, you understand that taking responsibility can sometimes be a maturing act in and of itself. And as I mentioned, when we're told that we have to take responsibility, it can throw us onto our self-doubt. I was, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I set a meditation retreat, a 10-day meditation retreat just like this, with uh, Ajahn Sumedho. Ajahn Sumedho is a um, Western monk who's been a monk for 30 years um, and who has set up monasteries in the West, in England, uh, Australia, and uh, also in beginning stages here. And um, I've heard about Ajahn Sumedho ever since I got into the practice and um, met him once briefly in Thailand. Uh, but I just wanted to sort of connect with him and see what kind of a teacher he was, so I did the meditation course, meditation course and many of the people who were there in the course at that time were long-standing students of him who were lay students. Um, there weren't any other monks besides himself. And Ajahn Sumedho um, has an enormous um, confidence in the monkhood and his spiritual path is really being a monk and there's total commitment to it and sort of an unshakable quality in him around it. The problem is that his students are lay people. And there's a kind of self-doubt that I saw in his lay followers and thinking that they weren't really doing it uh, as thoroughly as he was since he was in a monastic setting and they were in lay life. And even in his oldest students, there was a kind of a waffling. Well, maybe I should go ordain, or maybe I should be a nun, or maybe I should be a monk. Back and forth like that. And it's actually the very waffling itself that keeps one from being 100% total committed to what we're doing. And taking responsibility means that 100% commitment. I think Narayan and I can speak with the same certainty that Ajahn Sumedho does for mon monastic training about lay life. That it is possible to grow in lay life. But it does take that willingness to commit ourselves to what we're doing. If it's 
And it doesn't mean carving out a special lifestyle within lay life. It means committing ourselves totally to the life we are now living. And I think that's a crucial point in taking responsibility. It means if we're a mother, it means if we're in a relationship or have a job, that that is the fact of our life. And to fully commit ourselves to that is aligning ourselves to the responsibility necessary for growth to occur. And sometimes you think, well, maybe I ought to go do another retreat. Or maybe I should go off with this teacher or that teacher. And really, in the essence, it doesn't make any difference. But what does make a difference is the wholehearted approach we give to whatever we're doing. Now, most of us have developed strategies for not taking responsibility. And interestingly enough, a personal strategy revealed itself today. In the room where I stay, M101, when I walked in, there was a big um, uh, dividing board, big board that... Uh, I guess it was, uh, it was like a division. If you had two beds and you put that thing between the two, it would d divide the, the room into two, sort of. And so I walked into the room, and that was sort of surrounding my bed, heavy, thick board. And I thought, first of all, I thought, oh, that, that's kind of nice. It sort of gives me a bedroom, and, the, and then the rest of the room is divided up. Uh, and uh, so I slept there last night and got up this morning and I sat down in the chair next to it and it's a rocking chair and the rocking part went back and hit this board. The board fell over and knocked off this picture that had been in the room ever since I can remember, 20 years probably. <laughs> and the glass uh, cracked like, you know, the, looked like a tree, you know, the veins of the glass cracked all over. I thought, oh God, what am I going to do? So I took the picture and hung it up on the wall and think, I thought, and it looked, you know, the face of the picture was like, and I thought, maybe nobody will notice. <laughs> and, and the nail that the picture was hung on, when the thing had hit it, it flattened the nail out. So I turned the nail around and hung the picture like that and sat back on the chair. Five minutes later, the nail flipped, <laughs> the picture fell back down, and this time it just shattered. Glass everywhere. <laughs> and then my strategy was, why did anybody put that board in my room anyway? <laughs> well, what sense did that make? You see? Strategies, all strategies for not taking responsibility. I still haven't told the maintenance crew yet. <laughs> I just did. <laughs> I know when I was growing up, my mother used to line 
the five children up. And when something in the house was missing or something broken, she would go down the line from the oldest to the youngest and ask if we had done it. And although it was obvious that someone had done it, every one of us in the line would say, no, it wasn't us, all the way down. I could never quite figure out who did it because I never did. <laughs> Patterns of escaping from having to take responsibility, blaming others, looking away as others do something, and then not taking responsibility for having to be a part of it. I, many years ago, it's a story I read that continues to weigh heavy on my consciousness was uh, when the Berlin Wall was up and um, there was a man who was trying to uh, flee over the Berlin Wall and he was shot as he was right on the top of the wall between west and east and his hands, I guess, and his head were on one side. And his, and, um, it's said from the story that no one helped him from the west side because they are afraid to risk their own life in relationship to this man. And so he uh, bled to death on top of the wall. Nobody uh, assumes responsibility for that. You see, it wasn't his fault, it wasn't my fault that he tried to escape. Why should I risk my myself? And many of us have had or read stories of... Um, passerbys who watch a violent acts being performed without taking responsibility in ourselves to, to address those acts because we don't want to get involved. But life is about getting involved. It's not about remaining safe. Meditation is about risking, not about remaining safe. Even if our strategy is not to get involved, then there will be very little growth that occurs for us. We have to risk. You know what we risk? We risk our suffering. It's very interesting. But many of us are so identified with the patterns of suffering that are in us that we fear losing that as a sense of our identity. And it's really risking our suffering. That's what the whole spiritual journey is about. We don't risk anything that's worth giving up that isn't worth giving up. It's the story of the person who has been with their sadness for such a long time that they don't know themselves outside of their melancholy. And so they go home every night and pull the shades and turn on the music and bathe themselves in their sadness because it's too threatening to conceive of a life without it. And it takes risking that. It takes risking long, long endured and entrenched patterns within us
And from our sense of responsibility, as we grow into our sense of responsibility, we can make it a very self-righteous responsibility. You know, I'm doing it. Why isn't everybody sitting? Don't they know what's good for them? <laughs> uh, recently, uh, our hospice, um, Hospice of Seattle, uh, was invited to send a delegation to Japan to teach some Japanese doctors and nurses about hospice care. And so a nurse and a social worker went off to Japan. And... Um, and uh, had a, a delightful week of training Japanese and also seeing part of Japan. But when they came back, it was interesting. They said, um, you know, in Japan, uh, the doctors never tell their patients that they have cancer or that they're terminally ill, which is very different than this culture. And when they said that, you could feel the rest of the staff saying, why don't they take responsibility? And, and perhaps that reaction went through us when we heard that story just now. But you see, that's out of context of our culture. It's very easy for us to perceive from our viewpoint what the Japanese need to do to get their terminal ill people prepared. It's very easy for us from our sense of responsibility to want to assert that everybody assume the same. But it doesn't make sense because it's only from one's own perspective that one can assume their responsibility. We know what we need to do, each one of us. But we really can't have anyone else telling us what to do. And that's not only true for how to raise our children, but it's also true for our spiritual unfolding. And and yet the roles that we take of responsibility change. They change, they evolve over time. <clears throat> and some of the most difficult deaths I've seen are from people who refuse to give up their roles of responsibility as they're dying. So the mother who has raised five children suddenly finds herself on her deathbed unwilling to be served by her children as a patient, because she can't give up her role as a mother. And sometimes as we grow older, the person who was once our parent, we begin to parent them. And to be able to move with those new responsibilities through time, to be able to assume the evolving quality, the changing quality of what it is necessary for us to do to be responsible is an important aspect of, of living with integrity. And in Dharma practice, 
we begin to learn that sometimes we take responsibility for the wrong things. That we have assumed responsibility for the wrong things. Now even after a day of sitting, you have sat there on your cushions and have discovered, if there has been any awareness in this day at all, that the mind that you once thought was so much a part of you and perhaps who you are isn't because if it were you could say mind mind me stay put and the first insight that occurs to people who are really looking at this process is that that doesn't happen now that is the first taste of a much greater freedom than we know. Sometimes that's scary. But if we remember that responsibility changes and evolves with our understanding, and that spirituality is letting go of suffering, then we can move into this new way of perceiving our mind and yes, it's out of control. And yes, it doesn't mind me. So the question is, is that me? If it were me, I could point it to the breath, I could point it to a sound, I could point it to a sensation, and there it would rest. So already there is a taste of something that I have always thought to be who I was. Maybe it's not quite as certain as I had thought in the past. And so I take, I adjust my responsibility accordingly. See? Now I don't whip myself for my mind not being able to be located or stationary or on a point like my breath. That doesn't work. I want to understand it. This is a new thing. My mind doesn't stay. What is it then? What is this thing that moves around like a monkey? What is this thing? I have to develop a new attitude in relationship to this new perception. I have to take responsibility for it in a different way. Not to beat it or berate it, or criticize it, or judge it. Not to fight with it. But to let me see what's going on here. And so we make it a priority to begin to watch and to learn and to see how our responsibilities to what it means to be a human being evolves and changes. Another um, hospice story. We were doing a bereavement group for people who had lost their loved ones. And uh, we opened it up to the community and one man who came to this bereavement support group was not served by the hospice but uh, was definitely grieving so he was welcomed in and on the first session we go around and tell our stories and then when it became his turn to tell his story he 
told the story that he had lost his wife seven years ago and that he had placed, uh, what happened was that 15 years ago his wife had come down with Alzheimer's disease. And so 15 years before he had come to this support group, eight years before she had died, they had agreed that they would not put each other in a nursing home no matter what had, the situations were. So he cared for her as she began to have diminished clarity and um, uh, started to lose focus, didn't know where she was, didn't recognize her family, left burners on on the stove, would wander out on the street to the point where his children and his physician were saying, you know, really you should give up this promise and put her in a nursing home. It's too much for you. You're elderly, she's elderly, and um, it, you just can't do it. And in fact, he couldn't do it, and so he places her in a nursing home after eight years of trying. Well, two weeks after he puts her in a nursing home, she dies. Seven years after she dies, this man comes to the support group and says, I have not lived a single day when I haven't judged myself for not taking responsibility and giving up the responsibility for her and placing her in a nursing home. Now you see, that's a very stuck mind. That's a mind that's very caught in a particular time and reference in which responsibility and taking responsibility and making that promise was perfectly legitimate 15 years ago. It was not seven years or eight years after that. The situations changed, the circumstances changed, and although all of that changed, he was still holding himself accountable for the promise of 15 years ago. He wasn't allowing for the changing movements of understanding and situations to open a new life to him in which that promise was no longer something that he could commit to. And in the same way, as our understanding as we sit here changes, our responsibility for what we have always held ourselves accountable for changes. And we have to begin to develop a softening, a growth around this, so that we don't hold ourselves to the same kind of treatment and the same kind of um, um, demonstrative uh, force and pressure that we did when we were perhaps in grade school or whatever the situation. We learn that it's in this evolution of change and I begin to understand myself differently. I must react to myself and allow myself to be very different than, than those old patterns. What do we mean by taking responsibilities in Dharma practice? It really means taking responsibilities for knowing we are alive. You see, 
many of us, perhaps most, if not all of us, haven't really taken that responsibility before. We haven't allowed ourselves to even make contact, in many cases, with our own aliveness. And I have seen many people on the edge of their life, after 70 or 80 years, wondering what it has all been about because they never contacted their aliveness. They never knew that they were really alive. You can see why. It is arduous work. It is difficult to take responsibility for our aliveness. And really, it's the only mandate that we have as a living person, as a living creature. You can write books, you can create songs, construct buildings, which in a few hundred years will never be known, will have died out and long since gone. But our aliveness, touching our aliveness and taking responsibility for that aliveness is enduring. The other thing, the second thing, that it, what it means to take responsibility in the Dharma is it takes responsibility for us to be willing to change. We have to assume responsibility for that, to allow ourselves to change and not hold us in fixed ways from past perspectives. Perspectives change, and so does the responsibility in relationship to that perspective. The third thing that taking responsibility in the Dharma means is being honest and accountable for who we are, which I wasn't this morning. Having the courage to say, yes, I did it. And that's hard because there's been so much wiggling in our past to get out of that. It's to hold ourselves accountable for what we know to be true. And that's integration. And that's far harder than what you're doing here. Because once you see, then you have to act upon what you see. Once you know that there's another way, then you're called upon to take responsibility to integrate that way into your life. And that's spiritual maturity. And one of the things I appreciated about Ajahn Sumedho so much was that in his being was this integration. He had integrated those precepts of being a monk into his very fabric. And That's why there were so many people wanting to be like him. So assuming responsibility for doing what we know to be true.
And now a very important point about taking responsibility in Dharma practice. We take responsibility for our suffering, for our loneliness, for our grief, and for our healing. And we face it. And we don't try to wiggle out of it. We don't try to wiggle out of it. And if you or I think that we don't try to wiggle out of it, you wait till the first emotion comes up in which there's a content full of memory in which we start blaming that emotion on the content of some lost memory that has just recently emerged in our mind. And how we are in that position that the picture has dropped and shattered and we're seeing the pain of that and we think, damn him for doing that to me. My mother, if she had... It's really time, people, in all of our lives to drop the blaming. It doesn't mean that they weren't at fault when it happened or that what they did was okay in any sense of the word. But as long as we squirm out of taking responsibility for the effects it has on us by pointing our finger to the past and blaming some incident, we will never grow in relationship to that reaction. Why would we? We're not taking responsibility for it. We're saying it was you. You take responsibility for what you did to me. And what effect and reaction is still within me. And that's why we're encouraging you that when these storylines come up in your sitting, just to let the content go. You can deal with it in terms of enhanced communication or better relationships, and that's fine. That's part of living. Or address it with the person. But we have to own the impact it had on us. We have to take full and complete responsibility for that. You don't make me angry. You don't make me fearful. And now we're moving into more subtle dharma. Not moving from what I see. Anger comes up in me and I don't like it. My history has not been one in which our family was comfortable with anger. We never showed anger. We never were in conflict. We never showed conflict. We were in conflict. We never showed. And I'm not comfortable with it. And suddenly I find that there is anger in me. And I'm not comfortable with it. 
and I squirm. I think it's time to walk. I think it's time to go out and take a fast walk. I need to talk to my therapist. Anything, I gotta read. I need me to make that phone call. There's a phone I saw in the annex, I just gotta, anything, anything. But feeling the uncomfortableness of an emotion that we don't want to be a part of. And so we're still blaming. We're still shunting off responsibility. We're still pointing fingers. And although we think we're taking responsibility, well, I'll address it with him. I'll talk to him about that. I need to talk to him about that. He shouldn't have done that, and I'm going to let him know. And we think that's taking responsibility, and perhaps that's partial responsibility. Perhaps we do need to speak to him. But that's not the responsibility of a whole spiritual growth. Taking responsibility for us spiritually means to let that feeling in completely. And the problem is we don't know what that feeling is going to do to us. Because if we did, it wouldn't be full responsibility. We would be moving towards, trying to push it towards that certainty. You see, is my rage or my anger going to turn me into Hitler? Or to my father when he was out of control? I don't know. And I will never be certain until I take full responsibility for it and not move in relationship to it at all. Not waver one bit. No certainty. No guarantee. Full responsibility. Can I allow my anger without blaming the cause on someone else? Which doesn't mean, again, that I am at fault or even that I was wrong. It means not reacting to perpetuate the anger. I am responsible for my relationship to my anger. And I have to own that. But a funny, funny thing happens when we don't move. When we don't move in relationship to our anger or to our fear or to our harshness or to our intolerance, our impatience, the system breaks down. The system is that there is me and there's my anger. And in that non-movement, the system breaks down. There's a wholeness. There is a completion. 
There is just what is. In non-movement, when I don't move, there's no separation. And therefore, I'm not trying to do something with my anger. As long as I'm trying to do something with my anger, I'm angry at my anger. And therefore, reconditioning the very quality into myself that I want to be responsible for. As long as I'm afraid of my fear, I perpetuate my fear. As long as I'm impatient with my lack of patience or hard on my intolerance, I keep it all going. And that is what most of us have been doing for our whole lives. That's why we're in the fix that we're in. So there must be a radical new way to understand taking responsibility. Usually we mean doing something about it. I've got to do something about that. What's my responsibility? I've got to do something. And what I'm suggesting now is that ultimate responsibility is doing nothing. Leaving our minds alone. I was in the forests after a number of years of practice and all of a sudden something clicked. And I thought, this whole thing, this whole practice, all these years, has been about leaving my mind alone. And no one ever told me that. <laughs> or at least I didn't hear it, which is probably the case. And so I tried to go back to the earliest teachings that I could remember and see if this was true, to see if it was in alignment with all of the teachings over time. And I saw that there were two types of teaching. One, in which I applied skillful means so that eventually I could leave my mind alone. And two, techniques for leaving my mind alone. And that was the teaching. Now, leaving my mind alone does not mean that I don't take responsibility for it. I take full responsibility for it. Because it is my aliveness. And from that full responsibility comes my full responsibility to understand it. to see why it operates and behaves the way it does. And that's it. That's the end of the practice. I don't have to add anything to myself. That's not what Buddhism is about. Neither do I have to eliminate anything. That's not what Buddhism is about. The whole of our freedom is already here. We just haven't taken full responsibility for it yet. That's what Buddhism is about. Now it's paradoxical. 
that we assume greater responsibility by leaving ourselves alone. Because isn't that what we've been doing all our life? Isn't that the reason that I'm in the mess that I'm in? No. Because we haven't been responsible for our aliveness. We haven't been responsible for being alive. And that's what this talk is about. Assuming responsibility is not a burden, but a delight because it accesses our growth. And we live in the appreciation and delight of taking full responsibility. From this day until our life ends. Could we sit for a minute or two? Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.